Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, a show where we talk about movies and one more movies. I'm D-Man, joined by CP, and welcome to part two of our episode about Avengers Endgame versus the Snyderverse, Zack Snyder's Justice League. We hope you guys really enjoyed part one, and we're going to continue that conversation today. Really enjoy. So thank you so much for tuning in, and enjoy part two. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the visuals. We have... The MCU style versus the Zack Snyder style. <laughs> I think I know where you fall. I know you actually love both Marvel and DC. I'm curious, visually, what do you think? Who who did it better? Again, when we compare the Whedon Justice League, I actually think it looks like crap. There's okay. this attempt to mimic the color palette of the MCU. The Which is bright of and the colorful. Heroes, yeah, like... But it doesn't work with the film Zack Snyder initially shot which is this darker, grittier tone of- Yeah, right? Like the colors almost look, I don't want to, not washed out, but they just don't pop off the screen like they do in Marvel. You look at like Doctor Strange, all the craziness that's happening Mm -hmm. on screen. You're like, that's popping all over the place. And when you watch Zack Snyder, he plays a lot with blacks, with contrast, with shadows, which is probably why they could get away releasing the Justice is Gray black and white cut of the Snyder cut because of his reliance on shadows. shadows and dark colors on the screen. Now, I think his version is better in the sense that it's a stylistic choice of its own. I don't like his insistence on beating us over the head with slow motion (laughs) shots. Everything doesn't need to be in slow-mo, Zack Snyder. And he really loves his slow motion. Now, the one thing that I do think is interesting about his version of the Justice League is the decision to release it in 4.3. Oh, go deeper into that, because that's actually really fascinating. I think a lot of times we think of 4.3 as an old school style. That's what we used to watch in old television. That used to be television broadcast. That used to be VHS. Zack Snyder said he intentionally wanted to go with the 4-3 format because of the fact these heroes fly. He wanted to get them flying and floating. So he wanted to increase the screen with more of a vertical visual format. Interesting. I do remember a similar thing was that Spielberg did something similar with Jurassic Park. He definitely was trying to stretch the screen vertically so that you could really feel the scale of the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And if he did 16.9, you would actually like I saw it on YouTube, I think they would they stretched it out and then the heads of the dinosaurs would be cut off. Yeah. Pretty remarkable. I was like, oh, that actually is kind of a big deal with the effect of the movie. Yeah. So Snyder's doing something very deliberate here, which I think is interesting because, again, you watch this movie and it feels very different. Unfortunately, watching it in 4.3 can't help but wonder how it would play in a grander format like IMAX or something where you could really take advantage of his decision to stretch the frame vertically. But I do think that that is the noticeable difference. And I think that since there's some intention behind it, when you start watching the film through the way he frames it and frames his characters and positions them, the Justice League themselves all look very big and powerful. Yeah, I mean, and obviously that's very intentional. It's kind of interesting you say that, like stretching the screen vertically, because we actually do consume a lot of media on our phones, which we hold vertically. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've seen, but there are actually some videos where I guess AI is sort of filling in gaps of mm-hmm. what would be regular widescreen 16-9 aspect ratio. And then it's kind of like, what if Harry Potter was imagined vertically? Mm-hmm. And then it fills in those top and bottom black blocks. It looks, it's pretty neat. I found it interesting to look at. 
what films would look like if they were shot differently. This is an instance where it's obviously very intentional. And I think it worked. The desired effect is one that is felt through the cinematography and the aspect ratio. I'm very supportive of director's decision to step outside the norm in terms of how we're consuming media. I mean, case in point. Christopher Nolan is someone who's been very deliberate about changing the formats of his film for specific reasons. And part of the visual language of his film is he says, no, I want it in this format for these reasons. I think it was a bold choice by Zack Snyder. Unfortunately, the fact that it's too long a movie to watch on your phone. And since it yeah. was never, with the exception of the one theatrical release it had at the Snyder Fest, the one screening of it, we've never seen it on the big screen format. Unfortunately, I feel like it is slightly wasted on television where most mm. people are consuming it. Interesting. It is weird because I think everybody experienced it by watching it on HBO Max. I mean, I have a fairly decent sized TV, but even I was aware when you put it on, like it had the blocks on the side mm -hmm. and you were like, interesting. I didn't, I didn't expect that. Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes these choices to change an aspect ratio or something, hopefully it's not something that is noticeable to the viewer. Hopefully it's kind of a subconscious adjustment that does affect our perception of the film, but doesn't necessarily throw us off. Because I remember watching, I want to say it was like The Hobbit on a TV designed for like 60 frames per second. Mm -hmm. And it looked funny. It didn't feel it, natural. It looked surreal. It was like too smooth. Mm -hmm. And I remember not liking it, even yeah. though it was interesting to me that, wow, that's really cool. You could do that. And once I saw it on a TV that had the capabilities to max that out, I didn't really care for it. Yeah. I know some Sometimes, you know, you make these decisions with the best intentions, but it doesn't work out. And in this case, I did notice it right out of the gate. But other than that, it didn't distract me or anything. Probably enhanced my viewing experience. The only other thing that really is worth noting about Zack Snyder's story language in the film, visual story language, is the decision to cut the film up into specific chapters. Uh -huh. Which, and that's really different. That's not something we're typically accustomed to. No. So much to the yeah. point that there's an epilogue and... I mean, the first first thing that comes to mind is maybe a Tarantino film, but mm -hmm. other than him, you don't really see that, which I'm not sure why. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why Tarantino's like, hey, we got to do it like this. He does it a lot. I think in Snyder's case, it's advantageous for the audience because this is such a big story. Him segmenting it Essentially, each chapter relates to the thematic development of the story. I think it's a way that it's easier for the audience to digest it. Is it worth saying that I didn't really care for the titles, though? I read them and I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Felt like they weren't either A, intriguing or B, informative. They were just kind of like, I don't know, a reference to something. Maybe I was like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. like it should either inform something of what we're either about to see or the state of the story. It should be intriguing in a way that definitely gets me to ask questions that will indeed be answered. And like I felt reading them, I was like, I don't really care. To actually go through the work of adding them and doing all that, it just didn't feel like it added much in terms of the actual titles. Although I liked it being broken up, though. Let's flip this over and look at the Russo brothers visual language. Now, we have to acknowledge for the audience that the Russo brothers are kind of handicapped. The visual language of the MCU is many ways dictated by a lot of things they don't have control over. And yeah, that's yeah. Marvel as a studio has been very clear to directors, the amount of freedom that they have in, in, in telling this type of story. 
it is worth noting that I think was a director Edgar Wright was mm-hmm. going to do the original Ant-Man and because they had placed this MCU storytelling language cinematography style on top of what he wanted to do he ended up dropping out because he was like that's not the type of movies that I make yeah yeah they're like hey listen we love some creative freedom but like there is a visual language to the MCU and everybody sort of needs to adhere to that even though like you said experiment a little bit but yeah. this has hindered actually I guess was the point I was trying to make is that it has hindered directors from participating in the MCU because some people are like that's just not my style from someone in Kevin Feige's position obviously you want all 20 of these films to look consistent yeah for the Russo brothers they didn't have a lot of freedom to truly innovate this story visually as they might want to I mean what are some of the things that you feel really stand out to you about Endgame visually in terms of just style it's fairly stock it looks like all the other Avengers movies right I think Marvel went super CG here and I don't think for the worse in this case I mean they're really doing things where you're like yeah this pretty much would have to be done in CG that's when I think CG is at its best it's not doing things that distract us or or anything you're like no this this works really well so like particularly the end battle which is all shot on stage on a blue screen right like that environment Mm -hmm. is not in fact I don't know if any of the environments other than some set designs are they even when they go to a new Asgard or is that even real? I don't Honestly, know I feel like both of these films are pretty much com- shot completely on a soundstage. Yeah. That's like, the only way I you don't... get the, the look and the visuals that they have. I'm guessing they did not go to New York City. Um, <laughs> like, I, I would be shocked. I, I don't know. Maybe the bunker. That might Maybe, be real. That might be a real bunker. I think the only thing in yeah, Justice League there's... that is genuine is probably the stuff in Iceland. I think they actually went to Iceland to shoot that sequence with Aquaman and Batman. But I yeah, think everything then, else is on a set. That's the crazy thing is they're using so much CG here. But generally speaking, I think it looks pretty good. I don't find it distracting. And Marvel has done a fairly decent job, especially during the Infinity Saga, of integrating CG into the, the visual language of MCU projects. They're, they're almost like embracing the fact that they're like, dude, these are comic book movies. And like, this is a part of it. Recently, you know, especially with the new Doctor Strange and, and some of the TV projects, special effects have been, they've been under the microscope. People have been a little bit more critical about Marvel's special effects. But up through Endgame, I don't know that people complained all that much. I think there was some complaints about Tony Stark's Iron Man suit. The nanotech suit? Yeah, his nanotech suit. I think some people complained about that because it looked too fluid. It didn't look very mechanical or like Mm -hmm. iron man and i think that did ultimately come down to the cg that probably wasn't necessarily their intention but they kind of got away with it because it's like oh nanotech yeah but i heard yeah i heard some people kind of complain about that sometimes the characters heads maybe in the cg their necklines looks a little off (laughs) there's a really fine line right there where you're like that's kind of weird was this the last cameo by stan lee Yes. I think okay. he, I he he was passed by the time this movie came out. Yeah. But if you recall, they shot about four or five of, of his cameos because they thought uh, Stan might not be here. But yeah, because yeah, I remember, I think it was Captain Marvel at the beginning, right? They did an homage to Stan Lee in yeah. the uh, Marvel introduction. So I know he had passed before Captain Marvel came out. But yeah, like you said, they I think they shot some of these in advance knowing... Obviously, he was old. That could be a possibility. Yeah, other than CG, I mean, I don't know if anything truly stands out in the movie as damaging or amazing. There isn't anything that I think 
truly wowed me where I was like, whoa, how did they do that? Or that I was like, wow, that looks like trash. And I can't believe that got past the <laughs> final edit. I like the consistency of the MCU and their their visual style. I think it works really well for them. I think that when we look at this version of uh, this movie specifically, it is a little darker visually than some of the earlier MCU films. Okay. And I don't know if that's a result of so much of it was done on a set. Maybe. Or if this is just the Russo brothers taking the little bit of freedom that they have and trying to embrace this very dark and depressed, broken world that the Avengers are in. I will say there was one shot that always kind of stood out to me that I did like that I remember thinking when I was watching, I was like, whoa, Captain America gets back up. He like tightens his shield on his arm and then he's like walking towards Thanos's army and there's that shot with them all in the background him in the foreground and like the sun and they're mm -hmm. all like coming down the hill and I remember thinking even in that moment the shot was striking just think it's a beautiful shot but I also remember thinking like there's no way Captain America is going to be able to like take on this army and then literally like two seconds later it's you know cap cap on your left yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, it, they're going to, everybody's going to team up. It's going to be amazing. But that one shot did stand out. That was pretty cool. And then I do like how they did the giant assemble scene. They pull back and then eventually they kind of move in on Cap's face and he's like, assemble. Yeah. And they, they all run yeah. with like that massive theme music that plays. That's just so epic. And can we just give an acknowledgement of how iconic that music is now? It's Have you ever great. seen people, they make YouTube videos where they basically turn rather mundane things into like epic sequences. You know, it's like somebody like, they're like, oh, I pour my milk into my cereal and they just play it. They play it again, but they put the Avengers theme over it and it's like super epic. Everything is just more epic. And I don't know how they got that theme to work so well, but I mean, you think about, they need a theme basically for every character, right? And they settled on this one for the Avengers. Like the fact that you would hit the home run on the one you needed to yeah. is also amazing because like, obviously you need a theme for Iron Man, Captain America, like all of them. Mm -hmm. I think they all work so well. They're instantly recognizable. They also are so representative of the characters. And if they're not, I feel like Marvel's just kind of phased them out over the years. I mean, you can't talk about these moments without discussing really some of those iconic shots. You mentioned the one with Captain. I think this all really goes back to the first Avengers movie with the, the actual Avengers assemble shot with everyone yeah. kind of doing their thing as we go around them. Every superhero team-up movie since then has had to do their version of that. The Avengers assemble shot we got in the first Avengers is the most iconic shot of the MCU. I know Endgame and, and Infinity War have some great ones, but at the end of the day, I still think the camera circling down around them as they all drop in and assemble in New York and the Hulk like hulks out. You're like, this is awesome. I mean, that was the culmination of basically every comic book fan or nerds fantasy yep. for the big screen like yep. ever. Everybody yeah. was always like, oh my gosh, it'd be so cool if, but if, it never yeah. happened. We had some team up movies with characters in their own worlds, but never across the shared world. That was pretty sweet. So I know that's probably for me still the most iconic moment. And I always loved, I loved how Cap gives the assignments. Yeah. And then I love how he just looks at Hulk and he's like, smash. And you're like, that's exactly what you want. And then he yeah. just jumps up and starts beating the crap out of everything. You're like, thank you. That is the Hulk we all wanted <laughs> yeah. this whole time. Not this super depressed Bruce Banner who's like, oh, you know, and then, and then he, his rage comes out and it's like, oh, I got to like keep it on the load. I can't, yeah. I can't like Hulk out. For once, they're like, no, Hulk out. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. I loved it. I loved him in Ragnarok too. Yeah. In this movie, obviously the assemble shot is 
awesome. I think that works really well. They always do, if you notice, I think in each Avengers movie, they have kind of a one shot where the camera moves in and out of the action. Yeah. And they had another good one here where I think that's the one where right after they all rush, they do a one shot. And then I think the one in Avengers was when... They're flying around to all the different people fighting around the city. Yeah, like Iron Man flies down, then he like shoots Cap's shield, then he takes off with Hawkeye and drops him. Then we see Hawkeye yeah. shoot the yeah. thing. Like, I love those one shots. They're a lot of fun. I think there was a really cool one inside the uh, Citadel in Avengers Age of Ultron, where they're all kind of fighting simultaneously. That's a shot that I think, like, if you get to see that on IMAX or a big screen, there's just so much to look at. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, how fun. Sometimes, yeah, you, yeah, you'd have to watch it again to see what you missed on the other side of the frame. That was really cool. I liked how they did Tony snapping his fingers, at least myself. I, I'll only speak for myself, but I did not think Tony Stark was going to die. Even when he snapped his fingers, I didn't think he was going to die. I thought he might, you know, have a screwed up arm or something. Because he's Tony Stark. Yeah. I think yeah. he was going to die. And I remember I want to give props to the uh, makeup and special effects because when they did set him down, you're like, oh, shit, he looks like hell. He's going to die. And then, of course, they go through that dramatic sequence of everybody kind of saying bye to him. Obviously, you're like, yeah, he's definitely going to die. But just the <laughs> look, they set him down. And it almost looked like it almost looked like he wasn't even there. They kind of had to like bring him back to the moment because he was like literally dying. I thought all that worked really well, too. That was pretty powerful because, dude, my theater, when Tony, when they're all saying bye, I mean, literally, it was like silent. The only other time I think I, it was ever more silent was when everybody started disappearing at the end of Infinity War. They say drop a pin or anything like you could have heard it in Infinity War. I remember the whole theater like gasped when they started disappearing. And then everybody was like, what just happened? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What about you? What, what stands out to you in Avengers? Honestly, the visual shot in Avengers that stands out the most to me is the one that I hate. And it is the all female Avenger shot. Yeah, I do feel like, I mean, I'm all for, hey, girl power, whatever. It just felt like a, a manufactured moment with That was it. There's nothing sincere in it. Part of it too, though, is the staged Avenger moment after the epic staged assemble Avengers moment. All the emotional energy has been burned on that one. And we're like, yes, this is it. This is the fist bump moment. The music kicks in. You have the iconic line. Like that one, that's just not the right place for, for another staged moment with heroes. I also, I, I don't know why it upsets me so much, but the fact that they did that moment and Black Widow is not there. Right. Like, and you're like, me. she is the iconic like female Avenger yeah. character who's been around from the beginning. I feel like that shot should have been reserved for some point earlier in Infinity War. It still is odd to me when I think that she wasn't there for that. The final right? battle. I'm like, dude, she was there for everything and she didn't make it, dude. That's crazy. But I mean, I feel like, yeah, if you're going to do one of those team up shots with all the women and like you're going to do it when Black Widow's not there. Damn. It just feels that. And that's why I, it feels so wrong. to me. Some people like it. It's not that it ruins anything for me. It doesn't. Yeah, I think it feels like a manufactured moment more than it came organically. Now, no. what do you think on, on the flip side? What do you think about the team up moments? <laughs> with the justice league uh there's one that's good there's one that's terrible so we'll talk about the terrible one first All once right. they get down and they're fighting steppenwolf's forces there's this really weird sequence where you can tell they're trying to rip off the avengers one shot yeah right and we see Aquaman getting thrown up and he's flying through the air. It freeze frames for one second where Batman's in his super Batmobile and everyone's flying beside him or running beside him. And oh, it yeah, looks yeah. like crap. 
And I'm like, oh my, did we have to freeze the camera to draw attention to this? And like, even the music like kind of like pauses for a second. It's like, and then it like, it kicks back in. And it's just so, again, it's totally forced. It's not, yeah, but here's the thing. I bet that moment would be way better if you played the Avengers theme. over. It. No, but it's, it's just the forced aspect of it. That's what I think I hate about these moments. For example, the other major Avengers style moment in the Justice League is actually at the very end. Once Steppenwolf has been defeated, Earth has been saved, they pull Batman up and it pans across all of them looking out there into, yeah, into that was... the horizon. And I'm like, yeah, that works. That was pretty epic. Do you think they really messed up by not creating an iconic Justice League theme? Like, that has to hurt. Yeah, because why wouldn't you? You need one. I mean, say what you will about like, hey, you know, I know a lot of people don't necessarily like the theme music from The Dark Knight, but at least it was memorable. But you, you know, know people I mean, that don't like The Dark Knight music? Some people say it's too loud. Who's this Matt Hilson? Yeah. I mean, I think it's good. I, I love that music. I thought I thought it was awesome. But yeah, some people... Is, who is that? Hans Zimmer? Yeah. I mean, he's kind of known for those like long notes like that kind of get the criticism but i like it i think it works i think it's great and i do think it's weird that they don't have it from the auditory aspect of the film anything unique to the justice league obviously yeah, the justice right? league does a great job of incorporating all crazy. These other themes especially I, I think probably the best theme music comes probably from the man of steel soundtrack that it's borrowing from you know the superman themes that we've now heard over and over but it's it's weird that it doesn't feel original to the Justice League movie. I don't know. You need those moments where like you can literally like fist pump. Good movies have those moments and music is a big part of that. The crescendo to that moment to where we're, you're like, yes, that was awesome. Like I'm so pumped. Every time Han Solo comes back and saves Luke in that Death Star trench, I always fist bump. It's just the best. And he actually does. I've watched the movie with him multiple times and it, 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 he never does. It never fails to. It's just an awesome, like you, you got to have it and par for the course for me. And I feel like Avengers always has one somewhere where you're like, that was awesome. And Justice League, it's like, I don't know, without that crescendo theme music to bring you into that moment. Like, I can imagine that, like you said, that awesome shot where they lift Batman up. And if you actually had like the theme music, operatic theme music play over that, you'd be like, yes, fuck Justice League, man. I'm just a big fan. Like, if you've listened to our Total Rewinds, you know, I'm usually always looking out for some sort of either iconic or at least recognizable music, especially in a lot of comic book fantasy adventure movies. Because when you nail it, I mean, it's just so much better. Fist pump moment when in Fellowship of the Ring, when they're on the stairs that are collapsing, get across and then it's like, dun, 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 dun. you're yeah. like, yes, <laughs> so awesome. And then right after that, they run into a Balrog and you're like, what the hell? Okay, so now I want to talk about character arcs and the key characters in each of the stories. I think earlier, you know, I mentioned Cyborg, but there are a lot of good ones. I want to get your take on, we'll start with the Avengers. In this case, okay. Endgame's closing out their arcs. Do you think they did a good job? When we look at the core members of the Avengers, and, and truly the main characters of the MCU up through Endgame are Tony Stark, Thor, and Steve Rogers. And I think all of their arcs are closed pretty well by the time that the film comes around. Now, I do think that they do some disservice to the Hulk's character in his arc. And I mean, I'm actually not a fan of the way that they end Steve Rogers' arc because it seems contrary to the character that they've constructed. But 
let's get into it. Tony Stark's is flawless. We take this selfish char character, as we talked Agreed. about, who only cares about himself, who well, builds selfish. an Iron Man yeah. suit out of his own desire, right? Not out of the, the intent to serve the greater good. That comes after he builds it. Yeah. But it's a self-serving purpose why he builds the Iron Man suit and ends up becoming the character who sacrifices himself for the universe. What 100%. transformation. And along the way, find out that this is the guy who goes from being the rule breaker, who does whatever he wants, who lives life on the edge to starts falling in line. And then at the very end here, he sacrifices himself for everyone. But most importantly, he sacrifices himself for his daughter. Right. He becomes a family man in the end. Tony Stark, the the playboy, you know, he's he's banging models and hooking up with reporters and all this. He became a family man. What a great and arc. That was the one you really need to knock that out of the park. I mean, Tony Stark is kind of the main hero of the MCU, and they absolutely nailed it. I was a little bummed when they did that whole send off. I love that they had his old arc reactor and they like pushed it out. But I was a little bummed that they didn't acknowledge Black Widow at all there. They yeah. do after. But I'm like, you guys couldn't like throw a little something in there, like a photo or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's weird. I get that this is all like Tony Stark was the one who snapped his fingers, but at the same time, like they all sacrificed themselves in pursuit. You could even do something for Vision, but you know, he was never a real person anyway. <laughs> I liked what they did with the big three, particularly, but I do agree as well that I think there was an issue with how they did Smart Hulk. I didn't I didn't necessarily like how they kept all that off screen. And when the next time we see him, he's already resolved the issues from Infinity War. And now he's just smart Hulk. And I was kind of like, mm, they probably just ran out of time and left the focus where it needed to be, which is fair. I mean, there's a reason they did what they did. But realistically, I think that He'd needs been to be explored. All that character growth. Right, right. Yeah. His character ends in probably the most interesting position out of all the Avengers because Bruce Banner and Hulk can't reconcile with one another and yeah. he can't depend on the Hulk when he needs to. And it's like, what an interesting place to take this duality of these, of these characters. And then we show up and it's all in the past taken care of. And I think that that's a disservice to him and his development. No, I totally agree. That was maybe one of the only ones that stuck out obviously hawkeye and black widow somebody had to die there and it's funny because a lot of people are like there could have been another way but realistically like i don't know if there was they wrote themselves not into a corner they wrote themselves into a fairly good situation where it was like somebody has sacrificed themselves mm -hmm. right that has to happen and it ends up black widow wins that duel i i thought even that was kind of cool because they had dueled before where they talked mm -hmm. about having to fight each other and all this and then they finally have one last duel and who gets to kind of be the the sacrifice yeah so i don't know if her sacrificing herself necessarily completes an arc but somebody had to do it i thought thor thor was i think thor had such a great arc throughout the mcu he might even have the best arc well he's I know truly Tony the Stark's... character who is tested the most yeah, like I love systematically how... throughout the MCU, everything, all the identities that he has constructed around himself are stripped away and challenged. Yeah. And other than Tony Stark losing his life, I don't know if anyone lost any more than Thor did. Pretty much lost everything. Mm -hmm. I think literally everything. He lost his home world. I mean, the only thing he had left at the end was the Avengers and he lost some of them, too. I don't know. Yeah, he was he was a crazy character. And I loved I loved his arc where he finally finds peace, but no longer just trying to live up to the expectations of being this chosen son and just saying, like, you know what? I got to figure my own life out and I'm going to do my own thing. Now, I will tell you, I did not like Fat Thor. 
thought Fat Thor was a joke and a gimmick that went on way longer than it needed to. I understand that that was part of stripping away Thor, you know, Norse god with this chiseled physique and making him just be a regular dude who games on the couch. I, I think that the joke went on far too long. And I would have liked it. I think it would have been better served for Thor if once he finally got Mjormir back and powered up his Thor again, it would have been great if he returned to the Thor that he once was. Yeah, I was going to say, he actually has a shot like that where they're all overlooking Thanos' army. And he essentially like takes a lightning bolt and it like puts his costume on him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, maybe it could have happened earlier. I don't know. You know, like you said, when he got Mjolnir or something, they could have just been like... And then he just transforms into the Thor we know. Yeah. And he doesn't have to remain fat Thor for the whole time, especially because, I mean, literally in the beginning of Thor 4, he's they just gone. bring it's him back. back to regular Thor. Thor. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, oh, all right. He didn't end up staying that way. Part of it was more the comedy associated with the gag, which mm-hmm. was, it was fun. I mean, obviously when you find him that way, no, it's, it's totally great. appropriate. And it's yeah. totally a, no one was expecting that that would be how far the King of Asgard has, has fallen. Yeah, he's just given up on himself. He just doesn't care anymore. And that comes through visually very clear. So Mm -hmm. I think there was a reason for it and it works. But I mean, at that point, you're just like making fat jokes, really. Yeah. And it was kind of like, I don't know. As I said, and I mentioned this earlier, when we look at Steve Rogers, I think Steve Rogers arc is concluded up through the battle very well, right? Mm -hmm. We find out that he is worthy of the hammer, which we've always suspected that he was. Yeah, He truly gets the redemption in the sense that the people who he's lost have come back. He saves the world. I just thought that it was kind of weird in the epilogue of the film where we're creating a parallel timeline where Steve Rogers says, "Eh, you know what? I already saved the world once. I can sit off and, and, you know, let other people figure it out this time around. And that seems fundamentally un Steve Rogers to me. Yeah. It's kind of the, uh, the whole Batman in Dark Knight Rises where at the end he's like, you know, I'm going to go away and, you know, go off with Catwoman and like live my life. And it's like Batman would never. It's like abandon you, you, you can't do that. Gotham you're not City. that guy. No matter how much you want to, you're not just going to sit down on the sidelines as the world's falling apart. Sorry, that's not in your in your constitution. No, Batman, he, there's no way he could leave. Like, it's just not in his makeup. He'd be like, I have to stay here because Gotham needs help mm-hmm. and I can't leave. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, that was I could kind of get that, I guess. Yeah, because Steve Rogers is kind of the same way. If there's a problem, I mean, he says that. He's like, if there's, what is it in Civil War? He's talking to Tony Stark and he's like, if there's a problem, like, I'm going to go. And he's like, I kind of hate that about myself. And he's like, no, you don't. And he's like, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. just wouldn't do it. He, yeah. he, that's that's in his makeup is like, if there's trouble, he's going to go. I, I can't imagine him, you know, seeing problems on the news or and being like, ah, Spider-Man's got it fundamentally not the character who we know and have seen the end of his arc really is like can steve rogers ever find peace or is he destined to be a soldier for eternity and they did kind of try to give him a nice send-off where it's like hey he did find a little bit of peace and he doesn't have to always be a soldier but even again i think it's the end of age of ultron he mentions it right Maybe I'm going to go get some of that relaxation that Tony's been telling me to do. But when he's there, he's like, I'm home. This is where I belong. Yeah. And so that's why I think it contradicts a little bit. But at the same time, I'm happy for the guy. (laughs) All right. So let's swap over to the DC side of the world. We mentioned it in the narrative because the arc of Cyborg is essential to the plot of the story. And it's it's also essential to the Snyder cut because 
they really screwed that guy in the theatrical version. Oh, that's yeah. Cyborg basically was just like a background character in that movie. He didn't even really do much. And in this no. one, he's like, I don't want to say the main character, but well, he, the birth of Cyborg as Cyborg is tied to the technology of the mother boxes. Yep. Yeah. And he is the person who provides any insight for the Justice League into what these devices are. And at the very end, he is essential at preventing the unity. I mean, we really don't have the film without Cyborg in it because he is so closely tied to those elements. I know, but the irony is like they actually made a film where he's what? not and that <laughs> film sucks. It. Like, <laughs> it's, it's insane. And then on top of it, his own self-acceptance of coming into terms with who he is, feeling like he lost who he was since he's no longer just Vic Stone, he's no longer human, but discovering who he is as Cyborg yeah. is this incredible journey and this really interesting look at kind of like self-love and who you are and choosing to be the person you are and then framing it around the role of his father as Silas Stone, his father, and Silas Stone, the scientist, who is so essential at the events of the story. I think it's a really incredible tale that they were able to weave throughout Justice yep. League. I think he's the best in the Snyder Cut. That's just my opinion. I think Batman and Wonder Woman are doing a lot of, hey, we need to go get everybody and all that, figure some of this stuff out, detective stuff. But I didn't feel like they had like super intense arcs about identity or, you know what I mean? Well, I think, I, I mean, I would disagree. I think the Batman storyline is actually very compelling. When you look at Josh Whedon's version of Batman, it's yeah. this kind of like Danny Glover Batman who's getting too old for this shit and he's old <laughs> and he's like, oh, I kind of made some mistakes but I'm old. There's that there's that stupid line where Superman says, do you bleed? And he knocks him down and he's like, oh, my God. Oh, and you're like, oh, seriously, that's our Batman. But in this one, it's very interesting because this is a story. And, and I think it plays in very well with this, this overarching themes that Snyder's playing with, with gods and, and things like that, in the sense that Batman is a man on a quest for faith. Mm, that's and he, interesting. He's putting his faith in Superman. And the rest of the Justice League. And I mean, he says it multiple times in the movie, right? He has a conversation with Diana where she's like, none of them are going to show up. He's like, I believe they will. He is the one who's most emphatically like, no, I believe that we have to do this and we have to bring, bring Superman back because it's the only thing that is going to save us. In fact, when they go to the final battle, he turns to Alfred and he says, have faith, Alfred, have faith. Okay. I think that's very interesting because when we look at the Batman character in Batman versus Superman, the ultimate cut, he has no faith. He believes he has to do everything himself. So much to the point that he's like, in the name of saving the world, I will take on this Superman character who I cannot control because it is okay. all on me. With Without me, everything falls apart. After the death of Superman, and Batman's role in that, he has learned from that incident and says, no, like, I need to believe that there is something greater. I, I need to believe that there are these people and they will all be here and come together when we need. And I think that's, that's actually a really interesting arc. Yeah, that's pretty dope. When you put it like that, that does make more sense. It makes me like the Snyder Cut even more. Now I need to go watch it for like the fifth time. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, it is a disservice to who's the character of Flash, you know, Wonder Woman, Aquaman. While the Snyder Cut gives us more insight into who they are, we don't see a ton of growth from these characters because for the most part, their identities are kind of contained to the one film. Yeah, I mean, that was a good point about Batman, though, because that was kind of what I was getting at is, you know, you know, like Aquaman's there. He's kind of comic relief. He's a badass. You know, he's like part of the team, but he doesn't have like his own kind of individual arc, really. So which is why I think Cyborg stands out so much because it's like, oh, my God, somebody got one. 
But I think you make a good point about Batman, though. I also like that the point you're making about Batman's character is one that kind of makes like Batman versus Superman much more integral mm-hmm. because you have a character arc now that's spanning over multiple films. And even mm-hmm. to the extent that they start Batman versus Superman showing the destruction of Metropolis. Yeah. So that kind of makes Man of Steel feel like you kind of got to see that. So I I like that it kind of makes all these things not feel so standalone. And there is kind of this connection. But I think you're right. I think Batman's arc going from Batman versus Superman to Justice League. Now that I think about it, that just makes it way better. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's more depth there. And I think part of the problem is, again, the Josh Whedon one is totally devoid of all that Batman character growth. Interesting. I don't know about you, but I 100% thought Superman was dead and there was no way he was coming back. I mean, I didn't so, because I knew the death of Superman. No, I'm just story. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course he's coming back, dude. You're going to do the first Justice League movie and you're not going to have Superman? Like, how wild. Now, I, I, I do think there's some missed opportunity in Superman's arc. There's not a lot of choices the character makes. I mean, he's dead for... Most of it. 75% yeah. of the movie, he's he's just a passenger. He and then even when back. he comes back, he has amnesia. Like, he doesn't even remember. So whatever he does then, you're kind of like, well, that's not really him. Obviously, the decision to show up at the final battle, we're like, you're Superman. You're what? You're not going to show up and save the world? I do love that one shot where the Flash is like running and then Superman moves fast. Like, I thought that was so funny, even when he did it, because the Flash's face is like, what? When, and they're, then when, he... they're, when the Justice League is fighting Superman right after he comes yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was funny. That made me laugh. I like that. Yeah, that's a great sequence. But I would think that, unfortunately, though they attempt to tie Superman's storyline all the way back to Man of Steel, which they do by, you know, how he has sort of the Jonathan Kent and the Kal-El voices in his head talking about sort of that he can choose his destiny. Mm. Unfortunately, the character is not in a position to truly choose his destiny. He's just too powerful. CB, I think you need to write a Superman movie. We need a Superman version of the Dark Knight where like the character is just challenged to the max because I think a lot of the the incarnations of Superman that we've gotten, it's either Kryptonite or saving Lois Lane. Mm -hmm. And that's like all that's challenged him. And we've had him die twice in Superman Returns and then Batman versus Superman. And he never really died. Yeah, he's not going to die. Come on. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's like Jack Bauer in 24. Yeah, he's not dying. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, like you're not gonna kill. I mean, if they did, that'd be wild. But I think it'd be a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like this whole they keep trying to like make Superman be dead. It kind of reminds me of like remember in Dragon Ball Z, like Goku would be like in a healing chamber or something. And really, like the whole point of it narratively is like we just can't have Superman here. You gotta sideline the strongest guy, so we have a whole movie here. Yeah, you need to create either some weaknesses for Superman that maybe. Don't necessarily challenge the ethos of the character, but give him more depth so that you can challenge him. Or you really need to create a villain who can take something from him or do something to him that more than just kryptonite. I actually think it's kind of interesting. I think the best analogy that popped in my head as you said this is the character of Ethan Hunt Mm. in, I think it's a rogue nation. When he's talking with director Huntley, there's this conversation where he said, there's something that's broken inside of you and you have the inability or it's fallout. He said, you have the inability to choose between one life and thousands. And that's your character flaw. And I think that's in actually many ways, the, the true character thought of someone like Superman. And that's how he needs to be challenged. Force him to choose. Yeah, and that's really such an important thing because, yeah, I think often 
Superman as a character does come across as uh, once he's here, like Steppenwolf really isn't that difficult. Who knows if Darkseid is? Probably not. I don't know. Can anybody even take down Superman? I don't know. Yeah. I, I just feel like they sidelined him narratively so that he just didn't have to be there and nobody was that strong. Because come on, we did not believe he was really dead. Like that's the catch is, you know, if, if you had, if you had really convinced me that like he's gone, that would be different. And then if he came back, I'd be like, oh my God, this is great. But I never really thought he was gone. That's a problem. I think the other thing that is interesting about Superman's character in the film is his relationship with Batman. I already talked about the Batman faith thing, but their storylines are so intricately intertwined, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think one of the disservices to the character is that all his interactions truly with Batman come after everything happens. Superman's yeah. revived. They have their little skirmish. Then everyone goes off to, to fight Steppenwolf and try and save the world. Superman shows up, saves the day. And then really the first sequence that he has with Batman is when Bruce Wayne says that he, he bought the bank so he could get, you know, Martha Kent's house back. And yeah. that's at the very end of the movie. Like we have missed this whole opportunity to see how these characters have, have grown together. And when you compare it to something like Tony and Captain, yeah, we see so much growth because the two of them are great foils to one another, but they're constantly put together throughout the MCU. Yeah, and like good heroes, often they might go about things differently, but they want the same thing. And they're both eventually willing to put aside their egos in order to do the right thing. And I mean, even when you think about in Endgame, right? When they go back in time, Iron Man and Captain America both go together. Yeah. They're saying, hey, we need to put these characters together to continue their growth. Mm -hmm. Their relationship is kind of the crux of the Avengers in general, right? Wow. At least through the first four movies, like they're the ones that are either taking the lead or funding it or whatever. At various times, yep. you know, the Avengers seem very much like Cap's Avengers. And then at other times, it feels like Tony's. Yeah. But they're the ones and they're the ones that have that super famous argument in Avengers. They get in each other's faces and they call out their flaws or, or their perceived flaws mm -hmm. everything special about you came out of a bottle but he's wrong yeah. that's the opposite of captain america is like what really makes him a hero is his identity and who he is and the choices he makes right mm -hmm. and then we find out that yeah he, you know cap says tony is somebody who's not willing to sacrifice himself for a friend or for the team or for a good cause and then you find out that's not you're like dude this, yeah. was, this was awesome given the choice i i do think that the mcu does it better yeah, I have to agree. And I'm also going to tip my cap to the MCU as well, because they were able to stretch that out over the entirety of the MCU. And they did it all successfully versus even though it, it's unfair, they just didn't have as much opportunity in the Snyderverse. I mean, it's only a couple films that mm. you're stretching this out over where when you actually acknowledge that they were able to craft that dynamic and have it play out in all these different movies is quite incredible. Before we wrap up this discussion, I want to throw it over to you and ask you, really, this is about the Snyderverse, but the future. We saw both these movies and Endgame is putting a cap on it and saying like, hey, whatever happens after this is a new story, right? With the Snyderverse, feel like the Snyder cut was a win, but we still got cheated. So what are your thoughts? I mean, would you ever want to see this completed? Because I mean, I'm well, guessing if anyone, were... if anyone ever went on my Twitter, you would know I definitely would like to see this completed. I mean, it's think, not going to be. Sorry. Uh, no, I, I, unfortunately, <laughs> James Gunn has no plans to. And I think that it's really such a shame. I mean, when you watch the 
nightmare scenario at the end of Justice League. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and it definitely hints at a future. I mean, there's all kinds of things at the end of the Snyder Cut that are definitely like, oh man, they're preparing for Darkseid. They got all this different stuff going on. There's new characters being introduced or brought back into the fold. I don't know. I thought if they could have really developed, I think, a good storyline for Superman over the last two Justice League films could have been really amazing. And then we could have seen the continuation of that Batman and Superman dynamic, just like Iron Man and Cap. Mm -hmm. in the MCU, I think it would have been really cool. No, I I totally agree. They needed to have a home run storyline for Superman. If they, if they could find that and deliver that, I think they'd win. People would be like, this was incredible. If you can't get Superman into some really dynamic storytelling, then you're in trouble. Are you excited for the future of what DC is doing now at all? Well, not really, because I, I don't think DC knows what it's doing. You know, we've seen a couple films here that have come out that are kind of on the fence. We don't really know if it's going to be part of the new DCU or if they're just the remnants of the DCEU. I mean, case in point, we've had a Black Adam film, a Shazam 2, The Flash, now Blue Beetle, and we have an Aquaman movie. And all of these films could kind of tip either way. Some of them make the case like, hey, keep the Snyderverse around. We're on the verge of doing something big. But with the reshoots and the decision to remove some of the heavy like interconnectedness of the Snyderverse, those have been watered down. They haven't been successful enough, though, to warrant and justify why we need to continue telling that story. And they've put the decision to potentially bring those characters into the new DCU in jeopardy. So it's really a disaster. I don't understand what Warner Brothers deal is. It, it's ironic given that I actually heard really good things about Blue Beetle, both from reviews and people who've seen it. They were saying it's surprisingly fun. Obviously, I've heard some comments about the culture within the film, but mm-hmm. just in general that it was a, a movie DC got right. Yeah. Which hasn't happened all the time. Kind of been hit or miss. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. And in this case, yeah, everybody was kind of like, mm, this kind of works. It'd be a shame if that was it. You make Blue Beetle and then they're like, "Eh, we're ditching it all. Like that would kind of suck. I don't know what they're going to do. And it's very clear to me that they don't know what they're going to do because when you listen to what James Gunn and Saffron say, they've changed their minds a couple of times and walked things back and made promises and then gone in different directions. Now, how do you feel about in the MCU side of things, some of our characters have either died or moved on or whatever, but we're in the multiverse now like 100% fully in and the multiverse literally presents you with an opportunity to recast some of those characters as different iterations of themselves from other timelines. How do you feel about a potential, you know, a new Iron Man or a new Captain America that might join our timeline from another one? I think my bigger issue is I think it's very hard for Marvel to keep telling the Avengers storyline if the Avengers characters are not there feel like for a while Disney was under the impression that they could just sub out our favorite heroes, the people yeah. who who won Endgame with other people. And unfortunately, Moon Knight is never going to be a replacement for Iron Man. Yeah. You know, I'm you. sorry, Oscar Isaacs, you're an amazing actor, but it's it it's just not going to happen. Part of that is this isn't an issue about talent and actors and personalities. And I understand that the actors who are in the roles are are probably ready to move on and are aging. But I think it's an issue of these are the characters that people associate with the Avengers. So it's very hard to make Avengers movies without those Avengers characters. That's on the table, right? A recast. And you could bring those characters back. 
they've put a lot of money, work, time into developing kind of the new cast of characters that might take over that Avengers mantle once we get to uh, the Kang dynasty. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know that they've been wholly successful the way that I think they were during the Infinity Saga, because there's that dynamic that emerges in Avengers 1 with Tony Stark and Captain America that runs throughout the MCU. There's a story in there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with Marvel right now, they don't have one. Like it's a shared world, but they need a dynamic that's running through the story. Right now, they just don't have it. They haven't done an Avengers film since Endgame, so that might be part of the problem, right? You, mm. In order to have that happen, you got to do a team-up movie and have something happen. And they just haven't done that. And instead, they're waiting at all, you know, waiting for it all to kind of pan out at the end. But now it's like the story's not building to anything. There's not this tension. But it sounds like they're working on it. I mean, news is, like you said, that they're going to be pulling back on some projects, limiting what they do with Disney Plus because they feel like it's just spread too thin. I'm excited for both though, but I still love the MCU and I'm excited because, you know, in the DC universe, Batman's my favorite hero. <laughs> you know, I want more Batman. You know, I love Superman and I would love to see them do a story that really challenges Superman. I mean, I think that'd be amazing. All I'm we still can hopeful. do is hope, man. That's yeah, I'm still hopeful. Like you said, just like Batman, we need to have some faith. CP, that does it. I mean, it was a long conversation. I mean, I've I've talked to you about some of this stuff before. It was fun to do it on the podcast because there is a lot to dissect. I mean, we didn't even get to everything. Well, it was definitely fun. Um, audience, if... Well, that does it, CP. We have finally completed our conversation on the Justice League and <laughs> Avengers Endgame. It's fun. I always love talking movies with you. So no, I do it's, too. And comic book movies, I mean, that's our bread and butter. And I feel audience, like if you and I if you and I just get on the phone, we could probably talk about this for hours. You know, when we're on the phone, we go down rabbit holes and different things. And we probably end up talking about Batman 89 or something. I don't know. We'll go <laughs> off down the rabbit hole. But man, it's always so much fun. I, I just love talking comic book movies, man. Well, audience, thank you for listening to us talk about both these movies. And at this point, you've got our thoughts. Chime in and let us know which of the two films do you actually like better? I'm really curious to know. Which one do you think is the is the cinematic masterpiece of our time. I'm going Endgame. That's just me. I'm going I think Snyder you're going, Cut. Yeah, I think you're going <laughs> Snyder Cut. So I, I figured, I figured. Listeners, you can uh, follow the show at filmmakerscompass.com where we have a feed and all of our links to our social media. You can follow me at Big Kid D-Man and CP. You can follow me at NDCal5. Thanks for hanging out and talking about two of our favorite, two of the greatest comic book movies of all time. We will see you back here next week. Until then, keep watching movies. 